Hi everybody, thanks for tuning in for a new episode. I just wanted to let you know that I am still having some issues with my audio. I think it's a new program that I'm recording through. It's slightly uh, echoey on my audio, but it's mostly fine um, and perfectly audible. It's just not as clear as I would like. I'm hoping to get it solved by the next episodes that I am recording next week and we've got some doozies coming. So please tune in and listen. Thanks again for your patience and let's get on with this episode. Today's guest is a native New Yorker and he was running multiple businesses when the stress from this drive and ambition was a contributing factor to his stroke. This event realigned his priorities and it saw him cull businesses and reevaluate friendships. He has a fabulous podcast called Boss Uncaged where he chats to people that run successful businesses creating a wealth of accessible information for listeners. This is his legacy. Ladies and gentlemen, episode 25, S.A. Grant. Welcome to One Moment Please, the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success, and you take a moment to tune in to bring on the inspiration. Thanks for coming on. No, I appreciate you having me on. Well, I came across your story because you've got a great business now, but you started it all because you had a stroke. So tell me about that. Well, it was kind of one of those things where I had to kind of face the reality of I almost died and what I was doing before it was kind of successful, but not as as successful as I am right now. So it, I had to kind of reinvent myself. So tell me about the day that you actually had the stroke. What happened? So the day that I, I had the stroke, it was um, kind of interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm like a serial entrepreneur in a sense. And that earlier that day we were, I was working on like lamps and furniture and it was just kind of like a, a thing that I had started to kind of show my son how to start a business from scratch. And we had just finished building out like a wooden wall to showcase some of the items that we had in the storefront and dropped my son off at, at my parents' house. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to go over to my girlfriend's house, who is my current wife right now. And I'm just driving to her house like a regular day and Mm -hmm. got there, got out the car, walking in her building. And then all of a sudden I I started sweating profusely and I started feeling kind of like under the weather and I wasn't sure like what was going on, but I was okay. It's it's an apartment complex. I'm just going to go through the gym, you know, use the restroom, throw some water in my face. And and that's when the ordeal started. So you managed to get out of the car. Okay. And you got into the gym. What happened? So I got into the gym and, and, and used the restroom and then I was just kind of like, just kept sweating and sweating and sweating and, and my temperature, I, you know, at that point in time, I thought maybe, you know, maybe it was something I ate earlier. Maybe I had like a stomach bug. Maybe I'm coming down with the flu. Could it literally from the car to the building was like maybe 200 yards, if that from the parking deck to where I was. So in that distance, the, the first 75% of that, nothing was wrong. <laughs> and then the last 25%, that's when things started happening. So I found, I found my way in the bathroom and then there was a shower in there. So I was okay, like not thinking about it, but obviously when I look back at it, something had to be wrong because I decided to get in the shower with all my clothes on because I was that hot. I was overheating. So you, you had a cold shower with your clothes on? 
<laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Pretty much. It started off with me just putting my head under the water and I was like, that's not working. And then eventually got my shoulders and then eventually like, you know, pretty much my whole body was in the shower trying to cool off and I still was just overheating. So I was like, okay, something's obviously wrong. I'm just going to find my way upstairs. So I left the bathroom and, you know, maybe about 20, 30 feet and I'm getting ready to turn the corner to go towards the elevators to go up to the fourth floor. And then a split second later, I'm on the floor looking up and I was like, okay, what, what the hell happened? Like, why am I on the floor? And I didn't realize at the time that I was having a stroke because, you know, there was nobody for me to talk to. There was, I wasn't, there was, I didn't really look into any mirrors. So I didn't, and plus I didn't realize that my right hand and my right side of my body was giving out. Hence why I fell. So Mm. I found, so I started to crawl my way back up, you know, just getting back on my feet, made my way to the elevator and I'm still sweating, still wet. And I got in the elevator, went to the fourth floor, got out. And then, you know, at the time, I mean, she lived probably like probably 200, 300 yards down this hallway. And it was a long hallway. So I managed to, you know, kind of bump my way down the hallway and I'm reaching in my pocket, get the keys and I'm trying to open the door and I'm right-handed, not realizing that I'm having a stroke. And that's why I felt my right hand side of my body was failing and I kept on trying to put the key in the lock and no matter how hard I concentrated how hard I tried I could not get that key in the lock and then finally she opens the door and and that's when kind of continued from there so she opens the door and sees you dripping wet obviously not looking right what was her initial reaction well her initial reaction was like one, I think she was kind of freaked out because she heard something scratching at the door. So when she opened the door and she saw it was me, she was just like, like, what the hell? Because, you know, she had to buzz me in the building. So, so there was like maybe like a 20 minute, 25 minute time lapse. She didn't think nothing of it because she probably you know thought maybe I stopped at the gym to get a quick workout. So she didn't really like come looking for me. So when I was scratching on the door, she opened the door. She was like, what the hell is going on? And I tried to mumble something, but I was just rushing to the bathroom because I was hot and I just wanted to get in the shower again. So I got into the bathroom and I'm turning on the water. And then she's like, like, what's going on? And then I finally looked at her and and she was saying something like she's about to call somebody. And I was trying to muster up enough to say something. And then I couldn't all the words were coming out completely muffled, completely like diluted. And that's when she looked me in my face and she was like, Oh my God, I'm calling. I got to call the ambulance right now. And that's when I was like, I, the only word I could scream at that point in time was just no. And then after that is when the ambulance got there shortly thereafter. So when the ambulance guys arrived, what did, what was, what did they do? Were they obviously took one look at you and went, this guy's having a stroke. Oh, no, they did because it was it was weird because I mean, I guess usually when you have a stroke, you're usually down and out. And I guess it was just a sheer will of, of like my personality and I was standing up to, trying to communicate with them with my like with my body language, because obviously all the words that were coming out of my mouth, it sounded like I had like lemons in my mouth. I couldn't muster any words whatsoever. So I'm like asking for things, asking for my glasses, make sure we got my keys. And then they, they put me on a gurney. But they're all they when I look back at it, I think they all were looking at me kind of like weird is like how is he still standing so you could tell by the look on their faces and obviously how you're feeling you knew something seriously was wrong yes and no i mean for me we're just kind of like okay i'm not sure what it is i have no clue what's going on but i knew something major was going on because my i could think clearly but i couldn't communicate and i couldn't speak so did they tell you we think you're having a stroke 
No, I mean, literally, they got me in the gurney. And, you know, like my, my girlfriend at the time, she had she said something along those lines because my face, my right side of my face started drooping, which is a telltale sign of of having a stroke. But it yeah. wasn't like clinically diagnosed at that point in time. So once they got there, they kind of, you know, checked my blood pressure, kind of see that things were elevated. They put me in the gurney. And then the last thing that I remember was going into the ambulance and then shortly thereafter, like blacking out. And I don't know if I blacked out or if they gave me something to put me to sleep. So when did you wake up? I woke up in the hospital for maybe like 15 seconds. Like literally, like it was kind of like out of an ER movie where they had the scissors and they were cutting my pants off. And that's what I remember. I remember seeing scissors. I remember seeing them cutting my shirt and cutting my pants off. And then I blacked out again. So you were in the recess bays and emergency when that happened? Yeah, I was, you know, underneath like the like the, the giant halo lights at that point in time. So when I looked up, all I saw was white lights. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. Like, <laughs> and, <laughs> Oh, my God. And, literally. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, literally. Literally. I was like, that's interesting. And, and then I looked down. And I was like, okay, I haven't left yet. And so and then they were cutting me with the scissors. And then I just passed back out after that. So, Okay. So... At what time did you wake up again in the hospital? Oh, man. So th- this happened, like, essentially, you know, I was driving to her house, like, around 9 o'clock, like, 9, 9.30-ish. So this had to be somewhere, like, around 10 p.m. And so when I woke up again, it was daylight outside, and I was in an actual bed, and everything that had happened, happened before. So it was half, so it was half an hour before you got to the hospital? It was just about... It was, was about... I think... When I look back at the time frame, it took me about maybe 20 minutes in the gym kind of fumbling around. It took the ambulance maybe about five to 10 minutes. I mean, they had to be really close by, like five to 10 minutes to get there. And then like the ambulance ride was essentially like another five, 10 minutes. So again, I don't really know all the times because once I got in the ambulance, I, I, I was under. So is that a long time for someone that has a stroke to get to the hospital? Half an hour? Honestly, what what I've what I've heard is like you know within the first couple hours of having a stroke is is the ideal time, but then okay. again, I, I I probably was in the middle of having a stroke when I was walking down the hallway while I was in the gym fighting it in the elevator. I was having a stroke the entire time, so once they got me in the hospital, you know that's the other part of it that's kind of like off the record kind of thing because at the time we weren't married, and they were trying to get in contact with my parents. And they had to make a decision whether they were going to put me under and, and do the surgery or not. So we, we had to kind of like figure that out. And I didn't figure, I didn't hear about that until later on. So that once they kind of figured out the legalities, if they can do surgery or not, like, you know, whatever happened before I woke up, that decision was made. And then the surgery happened, I guess, within 30 minutes of me arriving. So what's the difference between having an aneurysm and a stroke? A stroke's a blockage, a blood clot? Yeah. So stroke is essentially um, like something clogging like your veins and your arteries in in, in your brain. And the other one is essentially the eruption. So if it if you usually it happens, a stroke will come first and then that vein or that artery will explode afterwards. Because the pressure is too much. Exactly. All right. So you've woken up in the hospital. What what was your first sort of memory? 
Well, I look to, to the left because it, it's weird because I, I remember it very vividly. I opened my eyes and I looked to the left and I saw my mom and she had this look on her face kind of like, okay, he woke up. That's a good sign. And my son was there and my dad was there. So I was like, okay, well, and I saw that it was daylight outside and I remember it being nighttime. So I was like, okay, at least some time has passed. Okay, fill me in. What the hell's going on? How old's your son at this point? It was two years ago. He is going to be 15 in like a week. So 2008. Yeah, he was about 13-ish. Yeah. So old enough to know well and truly what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he mm. I mean, to a certain extent, he, he knew what was going on, but you know, he, I think it was kind of more alarming for them to kind of get to the hospital because he was trying to give my parents directions, and that's a whole another story in itself. Why is it a whole another story? Do they not drive <laughs> a lot, or uh, it, it's just kind of like they they don't, they don't drive as much as you would think that they do? And it, like my mom is not really big on driving at night, and it was it was dark, and you know you get a call that your son's going to the hospital. So she was kind of freaking out, but not freaking out. And then my son was just trying to get to the hospital and obviously he's too young to drive. So it was just them going back and forth in the car, trying to get to the hospital. Oh goodness. So you've woken up in the morning, you've realized that um, you're no longer under halo lights and it's daylight <laughs> outside. What's, what's the first thing that, that you get told? So the first thing that, that I got told was that, you know, obviously I had a stroke and, then they said I had a stent. Then they told me I had a stent, and then I felt something on my leg, and I was like, "Okay, what the hell is this?" And I saw like a bandage on my inner right thigh, and I was like, "Okay, like why the hell do I have a hole in my leg?" And, and, <laughs> and <laughs> I know I didn't get shot. Why have I got a hole in my leg? Yeah, why do I have a hole in my leg? And, and that's what they said. Well, they had they had to they had to give me a stent, and I was like, "So okay." So they went through the artery in my leg, and I was like, "That's kind yeah. of a far ass distance from my head to my leg." <laughs> But that's that's the, that's the hole that they went into. And I was like, okay. So then the doctor came in and just kind of give, give me like the rundown. So my speech was back then. So at least I knew at wow. that point in time I, I could at least speak. But the way I'm speaking right now, like I'm a native New Yorker, so I really speak fast and my brain really keeps up in my mouth. But I was I had like more of a southern drawer. I was a lot slower in my speaking at that time. So who was it the doctors that initially told you that you when you woke up that you had the stroke or was it your family members? My family members. Okay. So your family members are like, I'm assuming it was probably your mum that said it to you. Sounds like a motherly thing to do. Uh, I don't. I don't remember. I think it was either like my girlfriend or or my mom. It was one or the other. I mean, she was there, and my parents were there, and my son was there, and and I think it was it was it was it was a feminine voice, whichever one it was. Yeah. Okay. And so, what is what are you thinking when they say you've had a stroke? The first thing in my mind is just kind of like, okay, how long can I get out of here? Like, can I leave today? <laughs> when can we check out? <laughs> and, and that's literally what I said. I was like, okay, I, I made it. I'm here. What's next? <laughs> like, when can I go? And then they yeah. kind of give, give me some information. And I was just like, oh, I'll be here for a minute. So how long were you in the hospital for? Uh, so I came in Sunday night and I think I checked out either Thursday or Friday but, you know, that was part of like part of my goal. I was like, I want to get out of this hospital this week. And there was a couple of things that they wanted to, wanted to see me do before they was going to let me leave. And what were those things? So one was, believe it or not, was just kind of like walk around. 
So like yeah. literally that day, I was like, I, I need to start walking around. So five minutes after they told me I was on my feet walking around to get that out the way. In addition to that, it was kind of like, you know, they were kind of cautious with saying getting getting use of my right hand again, because I didn't know how bad it was until they brought me something to eat. And when I was trying to eat, it felt like I was throwing food in my face. It was literally like my hand was like all over the place. I could barely hold my spoon and my fork. And I was like, okay, that's, that's something interesting, something different. So I had and- to kind of go ahead. I was going to say, that actually sounds quite amusing now, talking about that, but it would have been terrifying at the time. That That's when it hit me. It was just kind of like, okay, I made it through, I'm talking, I, I could walk, and then when I, I didn't, because, I, you know, when you're walking, you're not really using your hands, and I'm in a bed, I'm not really grabbing on my cell phone or writing or doing anything, and so the second that I try to reach to eat is when I, it dawned to me, like, I was like, Damn. Like, I can't hold the spoon. Like, why can't I hold the spoon? And then finally, like, I'm forcing myself to hold the spoon and I'm trying to get something to eat. And it's like the spoon is like all over the place. It was like like a magnetic force pushing the food, the, the food away from the spoon. It was crazy. So even when you were walking, you weren't using any support or anything? No, no. I mean, like my, my girlfriend, she was like on my left hand side and obviously, you know, they were just saying I could walk around and somebody needs to walk around with me just yeah. just in case. But yeah. for me, it was kind of like, like, how fast can I run and run out these doors? Okay. So when you've realized that you've got an issue with your grip and the feeding aspect of things, what's the conversation that happens then? I mean, literally, I, I made, I, I literally stated like, I'm going to get my, my hands back by Friday. I'm like, by the time I leave, I'm going to get my, my motions and my hands back. And, you know, obviously that, that was wishful thinking. And, you know, luckily for me, like I got back about 80% of my hands before I left the hospital, but then eat, there's another journey after that. Right. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the first part is like a mental awareness of what's going on and then wanting to overcome it. And then when you're faced with the other hurdles that come after the physical stuff, that's when the real test starts. So how long was the, the hang on, was there anything apart from the walking around and, and your hand grip that you needed to pass before you left the hospital? I mean, no, I mean, they, they did their, their regular tests and scans. They just wanted to make sure that the stent in my head was, you know, clear. Nothing wasn't, wasn't blocked. I was eating and, and keeping food in and just regular medical stuff. But more so for them, it was about me being cohesive and mobile. Okay. So when you leave, what's the rehab look like? So the rehab essentially they'll start off with like a, a 90 day, right? And they'll warn you and say, okay, a lot of stroke patients go through a bent of, of depression. And I, you know, for me, I was like, right, whatever, I'm not going to be depressed to hell with that. I'm just going to, I was going to go back to my regular life. And then in those 90 days, you kind of have to like, you, by default, the stroke changes you. And I don't, I don't know how to really explain it, but if you're like overly ambitious before, after a stroke, you kind of have to work back up to that. So it, I, I kind of went through a bent of the the depression to a little extent because you're not the same. Like I'm still working on getting my hands back. I'm still working on speaking the way I used to speak before. So it's just, and then I'm, I'm thinking and I'm so used to thinking on my feet. And that's when I realized, well, damn, I can't even think on my feet no more. Like I have to stop and process, then get to the action. Versus now, like I'm back to normal and I can run and do and think and everything all at the same time. But literally, I had to segment what I was doing and what I was thinking. I know that uh, I've known a few people that have had heart attacks and they, they've sort of said it 
makes you a lot more aware of your own mortality and, and it really changes the way that they perceive life and they've um, a lot of them have actually developed a lot of anxiety for usually 10 years afterwards. Did you have any of, of that in terms of the mortality side of things and the no, I think I'm still, I'm, I'm a little bit more cautious, but I still have the daredevil in me, but it, it's more so now of like, just, just processing, like, why am I going to do something before I'd have been like, I'll just do it and think about it afterwards. But now it's kind of like, oh, well, maybe a second hes- hesitation before I, I do something like in my younger days, you know, you would go to like DR and go cliff diving off of something and not even think twice about it. And now it just kind of changes things to a certain extent to where I have to process a little bit more. Oh, that was, I was going to ask you what sort of daredevil things are you are you doing? So you're still cliff, cliff diving? Haven't been cliff diving since. Cause it, they, originally I had like the, the doctor that did the surgery and then I had like my regular family doctor. So my, the doctor did the surgery is more lenient to what I can and can't do. And my family doctor is more stringent. So originally I was trying to get back into scuba diving. And then my doctor was like, well, you can't go scuba diving. You got to stent your head and the pressures Mm. and this and that. And then the, finally, when I got clearance a year later, then my other doctor said I was clear because now I can live my life as I lived it before, but there's still some limitations. Like, you know, I used to do a lot of mixed martial arts and, you know, part of that, you get kicked and punched in your head. Now I have to kind of be like, well, do it. Should I get kicked and punched in my head being that I have no. a stent? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> yeah, no. So. <laughs> I'll answer that one for you. That's an easy one. No. <laughs> so the 90 days you sort of hits you and you're going through this whole, okay, I'm not as quick and able to think on my feet as what I was before. What's the physical rehab looking like for you? What are you doing day to day? So day to day was just kind of like, you know, um, not necessarily, it wasn't as bad because I I was on the agenda to make sure I had as much motion as I could in my hands. So I had to kind of keep working on my right hand because for the longest, I'm right-handed, so my right hand should be stronger than my left hand. But for a minute there, my left hand was stronger than my right hand. So, you know, just kind of this squeezing balls, moving it constantly, trying to use a pen, trying to use a pencil, trying to sketch, because I have an art background. So it was just kind of like trying to doodle and just try to keep moving my fingers to make sure that they were at least getting better. So how long did this rehab last for? Like how long did that, weakness in that hand i would say about by the time i left the hospital i i was able to use a spoon but Mm -hmm. you know i couldn't go rock climbing like i I love rock climbing but at that point time if i was to hold on to a rock my right hand would have just gave out like there was like no like elastic elastic tension to my finger grip strength it was a lot weaker but i had full motion and functionality i would say about maybe 30 days later i was probably able to you know at least hold on to a pull-up bar and at least attempt to do a pull-up but i wasn't at full recovery recovery until about like 90 days 120 days later to where i could actually do a pull-up and feels like real grip strength in my hand so were you working during this time well i was i was independent for like the past 15 years so for me it was just kind of like i had contracts and you know the work that i was doing was service-based work like creative work graphic design multimedia and web design stuff along those lines so i had some partnerships and some deals and some of them knew what was going on but you know i had a lot of people that were kind of standby if i needed help with things as well okay so 120 days you're pretty much back to being a badass in the gym 
um, doing pull-ups and stuff. What is what is the reality though in terms of how it changed your life? Oh, mentally, it changes everything. Yeah. So from the from the mental standpoint, uh, like just going through like the bits of depression, because you know before I've dealt with people that have depression, but I I couldn't really comprehend it because I'm always kind of like just push through, just push through, just push through, and that was like the first time in my life that I realized like how deep and dark depression could really be, and how it's not something that you can kind of just push your way through. And that's when I got hit with that. It was like, okay, I got my physical side back, but now the mental challenges started to kick in. So what did you do to overcome that? So what I had to do was kind of reinvent myself. So okay. like my business was like, it was okay. I was doing things. I was like, okay, you know what? I'm doing too many things. So I need to delete whatever I don't. You know, at that point in time, I was a, a travel agent. I had my, my Series 6. I was selling insurance. I had like my um, multimedia companies. I was coaching. I was doing all these different things. And I was just like, okay, that's probably why I had a damn stroke. So let's just cut it back a little bit. And what am I going to give up? And what am I going to do moving forward? I was actually going to ask you what they think caused it. You think it was stress? I think it was a combination. I mean, genetically, I'm screwed because my dad, he had a stroke, even though he's in denial and his dad had a stroke, his brother had a stroke. So it's just one of those things genetically that no matter what I would do, go to the gym, run around, it was still kind of potentially could happen. And then in addition to it, being kind of like an overachiever to a certain extent, you know, deadlines are always approaching. You have to juggle um, work-life balance. You have to juggle clients. You have to juggle relationships. So things just added up. Why is your dad in denial about having a stroke? Isn't that a fairly apparent thing? It's a fairly apparent thing, but, you know, to each his own. I mean, it's just kind of one of those things like my dad, I didn't even know because at the time I was selling insurance, like, and I still have my insurance licenses in multiple states and I was trying to get him some coverage. And that's when I found out that he had a, a previous stroke because, you know, once you apply for any type of medical insurance or like life insurance, they're going to do a medical background by default through the, the MIB, which is, you know, the Medical Information Bureau. So when that report came back and it was like he got denied, I was like, dude, this is, this is saying you had a stroke four years ago. And, and he looked at me. And he was like, no, I didn't. I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> OK, so stress. Stress. Being uh, multiple businesses and and um, genetically predis predispositioned, I can't even Correct. say the word. Um, so, what did you delete out of your life? So, I got rid of the biology. I got rid of um, relationships. I got rid of um, businesses that I, I was dealing with that were just kind of like long term strategies. Or like, like prime example, when it comes down to like life insurance, life insurance is a very lucrative business, but you have to be on the ground or you have to build a team very quickly to be prosperous in that. And when you're building a team, that that means you have to rely on other people and in relying on other people, people will fail. Some people. Yeah. So it, that just becomes like stressful. At, at the time, I think I was up and down the East Coast. I had maybe about a 200 person team in probably like 10 different states. It was, it was just crazy. So that was one of the things that I just decided to say, okay, I'm just going to let that side of the business go. Hmm. What relationships did you um, relinquish? So without stating names, pretty yeah. much anybody that, that if they send me a message that I don't reply to right now, <laughs> it's pretty much the people <laughs> that I let go of because they're just toxic people, you know, people that are like constantly complaining, but not 
attempting to change people that are constantly, you know, always looking at the negative versus trying to be positive. So those are the people that I just kind of like, you know, they just magically disappear from the Rolodex. Glass half full people. Pretty much. I mean, your glass could be half full and, and you could not believe in evaporation and just believe in what you have. And then you have people that are constantly seeing that everything is leaving and, and it's constantly moving down and the glass is getting emptier by the minute. So those are the people that I just kind of just pulled away from. So what did, at that 120 day mark, you're back on track, you're sort of culling people out of your life and reassessing the business. Where did you go from there? So from there, I decided to kind of like, what can I do? Because, you know, I'm big into digital content. I'm big into, I'm in that space by default. I grew up in that space. So I was like, well, okay, let's try Shopify. And I was like, okay, something I could do, I could learn. I did like a 90-day challenge, created a Shopify store, you know, did all the stuff online because I was already working from home at that point in time. So it gave me an opportunity to kind of understand like the trade between shipping and rates and bringing things from China. And I did that. And it was it was okay, but it wasn't – it was more for me, it was like nickel and diamond. I was like, there's no real way of making money in that unless I find something that's really everybody wants. So then I took that and I was like, okay – well, podcasting. Podcasting sounds to be pretty interesting. And then I started looking into podcasting, going to podcast conventions, uh, read some podcasting books. And then, you know, my wife was just kind of like, well, it's time for you to step out from being in the shadow because I was always a behind the scenes guy. And she was like, well, just create a podcast. Just do it. And and the rest was history. So tell everybody that's listening a little bit about your podcast. What's about? So the podcast is called Boss Uncaged, and essentially it's it's telling the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs. And on that journey, you'll get to learn about businesses from multiple different aspects. I mean, last month we did a real estate month and we had everything from a wholesaler to a, a flipper to a standard real estate agent to a guy that does funding. But that was just a trial test. Every single episode is, is usually people from my Rolodex that I've worked with before or people that have found me on the internet and and have reached out to me that I brought them on the show and they're just telling their stories. And in that story, you're going to find out, you know, what kind of business structures do they have? Like, how do they juggle their work-life balance? You know, um, what words of insight would they have for you if, if they were standing there in front of you and telling you, you can do this and how you can do it? So it's a peek behind the curtain. Definitely a pink behind the curtain. And, and I, that was, you know, I started that literally a year ago yesterday. So from yesterday to today is night and day difference. We, we started the podcast around the same time. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I took a couple of months off at the end of last year because we had a pretty severe lockdown and it did my head in. So I needed some time off. But yeah, we started around the same time. So what's next? What are you doing at the moment? So because of the podcast, I mean, obviously uh, I've gotten to the point to where I've scaled it. So part of one of my questions that I ask on the podcast is what books are people reading? Like what books help them get to their journey and got them to where they currently are? So that then spinned off into a book club. Uh, another question that I usually ask is like, what software are you using? What software that you would not be able to do what you do without? So I'm, then I'm going to start an app club that I'm working on behind the scenes. Um, because we've had so many different people interviewing, like this year we're on season two 
to episode 10, but we've recorded up to episode 45 already in this year. So it kind of was like, well, we need to kind of create a directory. So we created an online directory for everybody that we've interviewed. So now if you're looking for someone that we've interviewed before about a particular business, you can go to this directory and get access to them or their social media profiles or contact them directly. Um, In addition to that, I'm doing speaking engagements now. I've been, uh, I got a speaking engagement this Thursday at Podfest Global. I spoke at Podfest um, Masterclass last year and VidFest last year. And then I'm just, you know, layering on the layers of online strategies and online learning. So is the guests that you're having on your podcast, are they international or are they just American? Uh all over the place. I've had people from Australia. I had people from Dominic Republic. Um, I just had a guy, yes, two days ago from UK, London. So Japan was last month. Yep. So all over the shop. So everyone can jump on and listen and get benefit from it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I prefer the wider net just because, I mean, there's no limitations. And, and like, when you start yeah. talking about international business versus localized or nationalized business, you just get a different twist, a different, and it could be the same exact business, but it's ran completely differently. So where do you want to take it? I mean, you've obviously grown it. You've got this director, which is freaking awesome, by the way. Um, where do you want to take it? So the next step, and this is kind of like a peek behind the curtain, is obviously my end goal, my end result is I want to create a platform that has two end results. One end result is that I want someone to look at all our content because all our content is going to be forever green. That means that anybody can use this content, whether it's today or 20 years from now. So anybody that's an entrepreneur or a small business owner has the opportunity to listen to these episodes and take away some kind of nugget from it. And on the other hand, goes back to my stroke, right? You know, I saw the flashing lights and I saw the ring and I was like, well, what's my legacy? What am I leaving behind? So I was like, okay, this is, this is the opportunity for me not, not to just leave behind capital, but to leave behind breadcrumbs for my family and my kids and my grandkids to kind of see a legacy of information that I've helped propagate and create for however long it's going to take me to do it until I'm dead and gone. You mentioned at the start that you started the furniture business to show your son um, how to start a, a business. Have you brought him into the new digital marketing stuff that you're doing? Well, he's always been associated to it. I mean, like when I was doing the insurance stuff, he was at meetings and conferences with me. When I was doing the furniture stuff, he was there. So the digital space is something that I've I've been doing it for his entire life. So he's always understood it. But I've always told him based upon his personality, and that's one of the reasons why I got my Series 6 and got into the stock market was because he has the personality for it. So finally, like in the last three weeks, he came to me. He was like, okay, now I'm ready. It makes sense what you were saying six years ago. And so now he wants me to start up like, you know, instead of buying him stuff for his birthdays, he wants us to give us, give him money. He started his Robinhood account and now he's starting to do day trading. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It took, it took 15 years to get there, but I, like I, I was so ecstatic. Like this weekend we have a course that we're going to go to a four hour course Saturday. That's just all about day trading and just understanding put options and everything else to kind of get him more allocated to it. But I know you're saying that it took 15 years, but some people don't get there their whole life. Yeah. Yeah. This is true. That's a real, that's a real credit to you that you've, um, that you've fostered that in him. 
Yeah. Yeah. It comes out to his personality. I've always told him that, you know, like you could work for somebody and just by your personality. And I'm very blunt and very honest. I'm like, dude, with your personality and the way you, where you come across sometimes you're going to get fired in the first five minutes. So let, like this, <laughs> this, 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 this get ahead of the curve and let's figure out what your niche is now. So by the time you start it now and you have some time to play around while you're living free and clear, by the time you hit 18, 19, whatever you started at 14 and 13, you will be a professional. You would have four years of equity in whatever that is. So the fact that he starts at 15 now and now he's telling his goals that he wants to, you know, be at like a hundred to $200,000 by the time he graduates from high school. And I'm like, now you're, now you get it. Now you're in, cause now when you graduate with that 200,000, which you will make, that's your 200,000, not dad's, not mom's is your $200,000 that you can then go on and do whatever you choose to with life moving forward. He's going to have to be careful that he doesn't have the the friends hanging on and and uh, you know yeah, using yeah. him for for that money. But that's fantastic. I'm so pleased that he's um that he's doing that. I mean, it's such a great head start for people that uh, if you're starting that young, that's that's terrific. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we live in a household like that. I mean, like like we're all like that. I mean, even like my stepdaughter. I mean, she's more so. I keep telling her she's probably going to be more in distribution and, lo- and logistics because every time we want to sell something in the house, we go to her and she'll take the pictures and literally within seven to ten days she'll move whatever it is, whether it's an old computer, old screen. So like that's her gift. Is like she knows how to sell products online. Where does your drive come from? Where did this all get fostered? Were your parents this entrepreneurial? It's funny. That's one of the questions that I always ask my guests. And when I look back at my life that I would say neither one of my parents had the entrepreneurial ingenuity that I have. I think my dad kind of jumped around a little bit and he was like job to job, kind of trying to figure things out. My mom always had like a steady nine to five and she, you know, she had little side hustles here and there, but you know, I have conversations with them when they listen to my podcast. Now, a lot of times like they're proud, but they don't have any damn clue what the hell we're talking about in the podcast. Is it all the all the lingo just goes straight over their head? Pretty much, because I mean the conversation. You know, one minute I could be talking about real estate, the next minute I could be talking about logistics, and the next breath I could be talking about put options on stocks. And I, in, the, in my history, I've d- dabbled in all of them. So now I finally have a platform to where I can hold my own with anybody and have these diverse conversations and jump between multiple different topics. That's awesome, man. Well done. Well, is there anything? How can people find you? So the podcast is Boss Uncaged. Yep. So you, you could just go to podcast.bossuncaged.com. I'm um, on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you could just look for either Boss Uncaged or you could do SA Grant 360. Fantastic. Guys, please jump on, look at the directory, listen to the podcast. It's amazing. Thanks so much. Yeah, I definitely appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for taking a moment to listen, everyone. We hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us. If you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration, then please share this podcast with them. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them. 